Hello again, I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. So good to have you with me. Tonight's program comes as the result of a suggestion made by a listener in Italy. Our author this evening is an Italian writer, too little known in this country, although she won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1926. She was Grazia Deledda. Born in 1871 in a small village on the island of Sardinia, she received very little formal education, but was an avid reader from early on and benefited greatly from her family's library. The society of her native village was highly patriarchal and the people very superstitious. When her first story was published in a magazine published in Rome, she was rebuked because it clearly drew on life in her native village and because it went against the norms of patriarchal society. She continued to write under pseudonyms. She tasted her first major success as she settled in Rome after her marriage to a civil servant. The customs and traditions of Sardinia, as well as the hard life led by the people there, were the subjects of her writing, and the myths and rituals that she grew up with were reflected in them. Many of her characters were social outcasts who suffered in isolation, and she wrote of them with great compassion and empathy. When the announcement was made, the Nobel Prize Committee called her 40-odd works idealistically inspired writings which with plastic clarity picture the life on her native island and with depth and sympathy deal with human problems in general. Tonight's story, told with a wry sense of humor and with admiration for its very independent central figure, is called The Three Brothers. The English text is by Kevin Hauser and is presented tonight by kind permission of the translator. Tonight's program goes out with warm thanks to Elena. Grazie per il suggerimento. The Three Brothers by Grazia Deledda Almost every day, Aunt Carula would go see her friend Pauleda with the unwavering thought of convincing her to take a husband. The two women were the same age, closer to 40 than 30, but while Pauleda was still just simply Pauleda, and everyone, children included, still addressed her informally, the other woman had married many years earlier to a widower with three already grown sons and had become Aunt Carula, that is, a mature, respectable woman. As such, she was often seen wearing new clothes with a starched lily-white sash, a brocade bodice, and a silver belt, tidily walking along next to the city's wall, sent by some young man from a good family to some young lady from no less a good family to ask for her hand in marriage. For the most part, the marriages she arranged turned out well, she would convince even the most ambitious girls to accept the marriage she proposed, even if it was a mediocre prospect. She took refusal as an almost personal insult, and so would continue her assault until she succeeded, thus pleasing the suitor and preserving her own self-respect. She'd gotten quite a lot of inquiries for Pauleda, but didn't dare pass them on, certain of refusal. Every day, however, in their innocent little conversation, the topic always came up. 
"'What do you expect, my dear Carula?' Paleda was saying as she sewed, seated under the pergola that covered the entire courtyard. "'Not every woman is born for the same destiny. I, for example, after spending my entire childhood toiling and thinking of others—you recall how large our family was—now I'm used to living alone, and couldn't tolerate anyone's company. I'm tranquil in my home, sitting like a lady on her fancy chair, and I feel like I've made it into port after a storm. Oh, why should I throw myself back onto the high seas? Aunt Carula, tiny and all sparkling in the sun-embroidered shade of the pergola, poured her coffee onto the saucer and blew on it as she voiced her approval. You are a lady, true. You are happy, true, on your fine chair. But a husband is still a husband. I know a thing or two about husbands. May lightning strike them dead. Yes, some of them are philanderers and profligates, but for you there would be one who—let me finish, it wouldn't kill you to hear me out. So then—but Pauletta was making such gestures of protest, with her fine brown head of hard, narrow, rope-like braids, that the other woman didn't dare continue. You know me, Carula, it's useless. Remember, there were ten of us in my family, seven brothers like seven giants, and three sisters like three stars. We had modest assets, but well-to-do young men would contemptuously say, by the time it's split ten ways, they'll each get a basket of spelt. They didn't want me because I was practically poor. So I spent my life working and thinking my little girl thoughts. If no locals want me, perhaps a stranger will come, a rich, handsome visitor who will fall in love with me. But strangers came, visitors came, and I had to toil for them, and they didn't even look at me. Then I thought, now that your imaginary birds have flown the coop, I can tell you, I thought to myself, maybe some night a young man, being hounded by his enemy or by the law, will seek refuge with us, and I'll take care of him, and when everything turns out all right, we'll get married. It was all so simple, right? And so time passed, you know, like wind through the air. My father died, my sisters died, the year of the smallpox came, and death carried my brothers away like a famished vulture carries lambs away from the fold. I was left alone like a blade of grass on the side of the road, exposed to all the elements, but the assets weren't divided. Then the marriage prospects poured in. You know, Carule, you aren't the only one to don the sash and come here trying to arrange a marriage. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Men annoy me now, and I'd be hard put to hold a grudge against the adverse fate that let me see them for what they are. Now they want me because I have things. Well, you can all go hang yourselves. But the marriage broker smiled at Pauletta's disdain. She stood, set the saucer down, and adjusted her belt and apron. You're right, Paulet. But what if the man were rich? Andre Moranzu, for instance. He wouldn't be in it for material things, certainly. His was the sole name with the power to mollify Pauletta's contempt toward men. One day she revealed everything, telling Aunt Carula, Yes, when I was very young I considered him a prince, but now he's just like all the others to me. He doesn't want me, and I don't want him. 
But the petite woman went away, pressing her lips against the back of the sash. She recalled one of Aesop's fables that Uncle Felix the pruner often cited, about a fox that didn't want the grapes because he couldn't reach them. Even at home Karula would constantly talk about Pauleta, her possessions, her skills as a housewife, her scorn for men. Her stepsons often paid close attention to what she had to say, and her openness with them, relating everything her friends said, led the young men to mock Pauletta's childish fantasies. Well, shoot me dead! She wanted a visitor, but only a rich one. If it had been a shovel-and-spade salesman from Tonara, she wouldn't have wanted him, said Mozioro, the eldest, a good-natured farmer, small and ruddy, with a big black unkempt beard. And Tanedu, the youngest, an adolescent still pale and beardless, who was passing the time by etching a vase of flowers and a dove onto an antler snuff-box for his father who chewed tobacco, mischievously said, "'As God is my witness, I should run over to Pauletta's house one night and bang on her front door, pretending to be pursued by an enemy. I've got half a mind to do it.' "'You're too young for her, my son,' the stepmother said earnestly as Mercioro laughed, fists hitting his thighs." A rich woman like Pauletta is always fifteen years old. Predu Paolo, the middle stepson, with his elbows on his knees and face nestled in his hands, was spitting between his spread legs without saying a word. He was a sly one, that Predu Paolo, nimble and pale like his younger brother, but with the firstborn's black beard and shrewdness. His stepmother's chatter forced him to think about Pauletta and remembering that once in a strange town a woman had taken him into her home and bandaged a wound he had, he thought, "'Had I known, I would have gone to Pauletta's with her tender hands instead of that woman who was so old and unkempt she looked like the mother of twenty. Pauletta was sewing in her courtyard in the shade of the pergola. When the outside door was shut she felt like a nun in her cloister.' surrounded by the high walls of the courtyard and the house which looked out onto the mountain. The noise of the world came to her from far off, like the roar of the sea or the wind in the woods, good for indulging the dreams of someone safe in her sanctuary. The wind did indeed blow on those balmy spring afternoons, but it didn't disturb the peace and quiet of the courtyard. It blew overhead, rustling the pergola's green leaves that would slap against each other, dip, bend, or turn this way and that, yellow in the sun, pale in the shade, mad with life and passion, but always clinging to the dark branch the way men cling to their fate. It blew past, pushing the golden clouds that sprung like flames from the mountain. It blew past, carrying away the scent of the hedge and the chirping of the swallows, the hours passed like that, carrying away people's hopes and woes. From time to time the woman would get up to drink a cup of tea in her small, warm, tidy kitchen before sewing some more, waiting for someone to visit. That was her joy. And there was no shortage of visitors. There were the elderly aunts returning from prayers, still sobbing over the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was Uncle Felix, the elderly farmer who watered all the pergolas and garden plants for his acquaintances free of charge. There were the godmothers of Pauletta's dead brothers. There were her contemporaries, 
all in charge of religious celebrations in town and out in the countryside. The conversations were generally innocent and cheerful, but when Pauletta's elderly aunt decided to speak ill of someone, it was a bloodbath. They would rip him to shreds. One day, in fact, they began speaking ill of Ancarula's stepsons. They act like a pack of overdressed students, preening over their greased-back hair and their tight belts, always out and about, always chasing something like a fox. One of them, the one who struts around thinking he's Andrea Moronzu, because that's who he resembles, Preda Paolo, they say he even has a girlfriend in another town, a woman who took him in once when he got wounded or fell off a horse, I don't know which. She's a rich widow, but doesn't want to marry him. Pauleda was serving the coffee, and the cups were shaking on the tray when the elderly aunt concluded, It's hardly mortal sin. That woman isn't doing anything wrong by enjoying a tranquil life in her own home rather than getting tied up with men like that. You need to go to confession. What kind of way is that to talk? retorted one of the religious women. Hardly mortal sin. As usual, Pauleda seemed to ignore the discussion, but when her friends had gone and evening fell, and she sat back down under the pergola to take in some fresh air, she was assailed by memories the aunt's story had rekindled. She had never thought about taking a lover, even if she could do so while maintaining her complete freedom. She had too much fear of God and of the world. But that evening, the account of the rich widow from the nearby town provoked a vague wistfulness for love. She saw herself as a little girl again, in that exact same spot under the pergola, on certain moonlit nights while the whole household slept. Someone out there would hurry past, and her heart would race. Off in the distance someone would sing, "'Dear birds flying through the air, you're bearing a message for me.' and she would cry as if that message were one of death. Now, like then, the June night was sweet, filled with mystery and poetry. The stars shone like golden grapes between the leaves on the vines, and in the distance enamored young men sang, entrusting the birds with their messages. Suddenly Pauletta thought she heard a resounding tumult somewhere out there. The singer's voice seemed to melt into the air, and the accompanying choir turned to raucous shouts. A brawl? Two rivals scuffling? Gradually the racket stopped, and the song resumed further away. But the woman's attention was drawn by the sound of footsteps approaching, becoming louder and faster. They stopped right in front of her door, and someone knocked, cautiously but insistently. She thought she was dreaming— Confused, she stood and asked who was there. "'Oh, I'm a dead man! For the love of God, let me in!' "'Who are you?' "'Merzioro! Let me in, Paule! Save a poor Christian! I'm a dead man! Hurry, hurry! They're after me!' She opened the door, and the man rushed inside, slumping next to the wall. He pressed his hand against it, attempting to right himself, while Pauleta shut the door again, without letting go of the hook, ready to reopen it if need be. She had the impression that something unbelievable was happening, but it wasn't the romantic adventure she'd dreamed of as a young girl. "'What happened? Are you injured?' "'No, no, but they're chasing me. It was me who injured a man, and now they're chasing me.' 
Why did you injure him? Why? Oh, I'll tell you. Give me some water. Have a heart, Paulet, and give me some. The pitcher is there on the bench. Get it for yourself. He got up, hale and hearty, and drank. His panting was still audible in the silence, but outside it was entirely calm, and Pauletta felt her surprise die down. The man had sat down under the pergola, and was saying, "'Listen, God will repay your hospitality, but how come you're so afraid that you're holding on to the door? Come here. The danger is past. It's clear that the men chasing me went a different direction. Sit down. Is it because this is the first time I've come to see you? Well, then, I need to tell you.' He began to tell a somewhat muddled story about an enemy who was harassing him, who had killed his horse and stolen his sheep. Pauletta sat beside him and listened in silence. "'Now I need to hide out for a little while. Justice is a good thing, but it's best looked at from a distance, like the sea. If you could keep me here—' "'You think you're going to stay here, with a woman by herself?' "'I'll be like your brother. Hush!' There was the sound of more footsteps, nimble, quick, light, like a man walking barefoot. They stopped in front of her door, but several moments passed before a faint, imploring voice called out, "'Pauletta! Paulet!' She jumped to her feet again, trembling. Who was it? The man chasing Mozioro? And to think she hadn't believed him! "'Don't open the door for the love of God,' whispered the man, pulling her by her dress. But she was trying to slip free, racing toward the door. Meanwhile, the man outside persisted, raising his voice. "'Paulet, are you still up? Open the door for the love of God! Save me from peril! Paulet!' "'Curse you! What are you doing here, Tane?' Metsioro shouted then, recognizing his younger brother's voice. The man outside fell silent, dumbfounded, and then began to laugh. Pauletta took umbrage. "'Come in, Tane. It's open.' He pushed open the door that she hadn't secured with the hook, and all three began to laugh and joke about the very strange coincidence that had led the two brothers to try the exact same trick on the exact same night. But to console them, the woman went to get a jug of wine and poured them something to drink, saying, even if one of you had come to-night and the other to-morrow night, you wouldn't have fooled me. You two don't have the guile for such things, my brothers. Now, if it had been your brother, Predu Paulu, he would have done better. And so, after those words, Predu Paulu, without saying a word to anyone, went to visit her one day, and then one night, and then ended up marrying her. You've been listening to The Three Brothers by Grazia Deledda. In an interview, she once said, I was born in Sardinia. My family consisted of wise as well as violent people and primitive artists. The family was respected and of good standing and had a private library. But when I started writing at thirteen, they objected. As the philosopher says, If your son is writing poems, send him to the mountain paths. The next time you may punish him, but the third time leave him alone, because then he is a poet. 
I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, stay safe. All the best. Thank you.